You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. So if you would, read with me verses 1 through 12 in 1 Samuel 13. Saul was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 42 years over Israel. Now Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of which 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, while 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. He sent away the rest of the people, each to their tent, to his tent. Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Jeba. And the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. All Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines, and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. The people were then summoned to Saul at Gilgal. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen. And the people, like the sand which is on the seashore, in abundance. And they came up and camped in Michmash, each east of Bethaven. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, and in pits. Also, some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Now he waited seven days, according to the appointed time by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring me the offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? And Saul said, Because I saw the people were scattering from me, and you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembling in Michmash. Therefore, I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. As we begin this uh, text in verse 1, there's several interpretive challenges. So we want to take a look at those. The Masoretic text, which is generally regarded as the most reliable and authoritative Hebrew text of the Old Testament, reads, Saul was one years old 
when he began to reign, and he reigned for two years over Israel. So there are several positions on this. The first position was perhaps the most common by some of the scholars and was taken by some of them, is to assume that something has been lost in the scribal transmission of the text. It is on the assumption that's on that assumption that some English versions correct it in the verse on the basis of future records. The New International Version reads, Saul was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned over Israel 42 years. This reading is based on the Septuagint, the 3rd century B.C. Greek text of the Old Testament Hebrew, as well as on Paul's statement in the book of Acts, chapter 13, verse 21. It reads, Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. The second problem in the text in 13.1 is that the original numbers were very unreliable. Because of the textual problems, there was always some error with the numbers. We found that earlier in the book of Samuel. <clears throat> we also do not know when Saul was born, nor does Scripture record how old he was when he died. So the third approach to the text is that the text reads as it was meant to be read, however awkward. For instance, the expression, son of a year, which is normally translated as one year old, this could mean at a certain age. However, the most likely text means that it has been a year since Saul's anointing, when the events of chapter 13 took place. Likewise, it is certain that Saul reigned for more than two years. The New Testament puts the number at 40. However, we don't know the age of Saul when he had the accession as king. It's not recorded in Scripture. In John MacArthur's commentary on 1 Samuel 13, he states this, the probability of the best text reconstruction in verse 1 is, Saul was one and perhaps 30 years old when he began to reign, and when he reigned two years over Israel. So Saul's legitimacy as king went up through most of 1 Samuel. However, we read in chapter 16, verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that date forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. So as we think about this, even now we're seeing where Saul has failed to obey God's word and his commands through Samuel and This is going to just continue until he's removed. So let's look at 1 Samuel, beginning back in verse 13. 
He had successfully had a victory in battle against the Amorites in chapter 11. And in chapter 12, Samuel called the people to Israel to meet in Gilgal along with Saul. After addressing the people collectively, he promised to continue prayerful intercession on their behalf. And then he closed with this strong admonition in 1 Samuel 12, verses 24 and 25. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, both you and your king will be swept away. As Christians, we know that our obedience is not conditional. However, in the Old Testament, some of the their behavior was conditional on how God would treat them. We read in, for instance, Deuteronomy chapter 28, they were given this promise in verse 1 and verse 7. Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Then again in 28.7, we read, The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. So that was the promise that the Israelites had. And they... They knew if they were obedient to God, he would bless them. However, if they were disobedient, they would have the same uh, warning which Samuel gave them in the closing of chapter 12. Verse 2, we read, Now Samuel chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel, of which 2,000 were with Saul and Michmash and in the hill country of Bethel, while 1,000 were with Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. But he sent away the rest of the people, each to his tent. So as we consider this, the numbers, uh, as most scholars think, that they could not have had that many troops or that many chariots and horses. So most Commentators conclude that the 2,000, 3,000 men would have actually been somewhere around 2,000, and Jonathan's would be less than 1,000. So Saul would have had what's equivalent at that time to one regiment, and Jonathan would have had approximately one battalion. And that's their battle military. I want to bring up a, a map to kind of show us where where they were at this time. <clears throat> okay, Jonathan is down at Gibeah, if I can hold this steady enough. And Saul is going to, I mean, excuse me, Jonathan is at 
Eba, and Saul is at Gibeah. So they're going to advance. Saul is going to attack the Philistines, and also Jonathan is going to attack in Geba. So as we consider that, this number going up against that great army, having chariots and horses and far superior weapons, is going to put fear in the Philistines. The fronts, Michmash, Bethel, and Gibeah, these three locations are in the mountains in an area north of Jerusalem. Geba was located about one mile southeast of Michmash, separated by a deep ravine. So we have to remember they were in a hill country, the Israelites at this time. The fact that the Philistines had a garrison near the heart of Israel indicates the extent of the dominance they had over God's people, Israel. Gilgal was the town of Saul's confirmation as king, and the people of Gad and Gilead are located east of the Jordan River. So Saul was about to respond to one of the greatest threats that Israel is facing at that time. That is the Philistine army. These men were seasoned warriors. They'd already proven that earlier on in, in 1 Samuel. They slaughtered thousands of the Israelites. <clears throat> Michmash and Gibeah were the central locations on the west side of the Jordan. So we saw that up there, and that's an important strategic area of where these battles are going to take place. Saul was about to respond to this threat, and under his own command, his son, Jonathan, was also one that would lead his military to attack Geba. Michmash and Gibeah were central in the west side of the Jordan, and the rest of the people the rest of the Hebrews, he sent back to the tents and he would summon them when he needed them. But he kept 2,000 men with him. They were more than just his troops. Some of them, most of them were his guards. They stayed with Saul and surrounded him wherever he went. Saul may have selected these men following the war of the Ammonites back in chapter 11. And as we think of that, he picked the best warriors out of all the military that he had. These men were loyal to him, faithful to him, and they would have died for him. And they did, some of them, many of them. So as he had this bodyguard and this army formed, the men might have been a disciplined part of the military, the most disciplined. The other men also that he assigned to his son Jonathan, these also were trained military warriors. After choosing the 3,000 men, of Israel, 2,000 remained with Saul and Michmash, which is located seven miles 
northeast of Jerusalem. Saul then assigned a thousand men to his son Jonathan at Gibeah of Benjamin. Gibeah was located approximately three miles north of Jerusalem. These places are strategic in the battles. Gibeah was also the location of Saul's home, as we read earlier, and his family and his father, Kish, was there also in Gibeah. Verse 3, as we consider, Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. So as Jonathan took this victory, Saul would take the credit for it. He was the commander-in-chief. He was the king. Even though he sent his son with that entourage of military, Saul is the one that would get the glory for it. One of the commentators' observation of Jonathan's victory over the garrison, he said this, began, quote, Saul may have intended that Jonathan should attack them while he held the northern end of the pass, which would be the first place assailed by the Philistines in force. Saul must have intended war when he posted himself and Jonathan in such a commanding area. He could go in either direction, so his military position was a great strategy. And when Saul blew the trumpet throughout the land, by sounding this trumpet, he was also summoning these additional troops. He realized now that he was going to go up against them. However, Samuel may have been the one that led them in this battle. Remember, Samuel still remains judge. He's also a prophet. And he's also going after the enemies one of the greatest enemies of Israel. Verse 4, as we continue, all Israel heard the news that Saul had smitten the garrison of the Philistines and also that Israel had become odious to the Philistines. The people were then summoned to Saul at Gilgal. So now that he's gave the trumpet calls throughout Israel, He's summoning the rest of the Hebrews, the rest that can enter into this battle. And he's going to meet them at Gilgal. Being odious, they became odious to the Philistines. The Philistines may have underestimated Israel's former capabilities. Yet now, under the command of their new king, Saul had defeated the Ammonites and now was brazen enough to enter into war against the enemy Philistines. So the Philistines hated him. They were odious. They were a stench to the Philistines. Verse 5. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen. And the people, like the sand, which is on the seashore, seashore in abundance, they came up and encamped in Michmash, east of Beth-Avon. 
Most commentators agree that the number of chariots most likely was 3,000 because they had approximately 3,000 horses. So the number differential there is tremendous from what the original transcripts read. However, the Philistines did respect the force of Saul. They knew that he was going to be something. Brian, good question. Brian asked, why would they, these scholars even question Scripture, especially with the final Scripture that we have in the final translations? The essence of their uh, investigating and taking a position against this was based on the Masoretic text. It was unreliable, and that's where they took most of this. So that was why they challenged it, because mainly the numeral aspect of it. The history was accurate, but the numeral, numeral part of it, the numbers, was not accurate. So that's why they did, the scholars all challenged that. So we ended up what we have in the New Testament, but yet the scholars recognized that the earlier most reliable transcript, which they went from, the Masoretic Hebrew uh, Bible, was unreliable with the numbers of the troops. Same thing that they did back in the earlier part of 1 Samuel. Then that it? Sorry. <laughs> I know. I, I question that myself. That's why I did some research. Okay, so as we continue... The Israelites were hiding themselves now. They were, people were hard pressed. The text literally reads that the people were distressed. This is in verse 6. The people were hard pressed and distressed. When the men of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard pressed, that means they felt pressured, pushed together, scared, fearful. They felt they were ill equipped to go against these tremendous army of the Philistines. Literally, it means to be squeezed and pressed together in difficulties. Now, the Israelites, knowing that they were outnumbered by a superior force with far superior weapons, caused them to be fearful, understandably. But they were looking to themselves and their army. They were not looking to Jehovah. Their God. The word thickets, they were hiding in thickets, is not even found anywhere else in Scripture, this particular word. Uh, most translators agree that the literal meaning is bushes, some of them thorn bushes. Some of the commentators also consider that when they referred to cliffs or thorn bushes, both of which were located in the mountain regions. So these were the Hebrews, the Israelites that were going up in the mountains, and they were hiding. They were fearful. They didn't know what was going to happen. They knew from previous history that many of them had been annihilated by this fierce army of the Philistines. <clears throat> Pits. This may have been, they were hiding in pits also. This may have been cisterns where they had water storage and other forms, reservoirs, 
used for storing water. So some of them were going in these pits and caverns and, and cisterns. Also, some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead because the Israelites had feared their enemy, the Philistines, having been aware of the former battles which the people had suffered great losses and defeat, killing thousands. We look back at 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 2. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the battlefield. And in 410, we read, So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And the slaughter was very great, for there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. That number was also disputed earlier, uh, if you look at the MacArthur Bible footnotes. Verse 7, as we continue on, also some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people that followed him trembling. Now some of the Hebrews that he had sent back to the tents, these were in hiding. His loyal military stayed with him, but it says they were trembling. They were in fear of being massacred, but they were going to loyally follow their king and commander, Saul. <clears throat> we read in Deuteronomy a couple of passages which Saul should have been familiar with as a king. One is in Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 1. When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God brought you up from the land of Egypt, and he is with you. What more could they want than Yahweh being their guardian, their cover, their God? He is the one they should have been looking to but yet they were in fear and trembling. Why? Because even their king was not looking to God. In the book of Joshua, following the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord spoke to Joshua, and we read, Be strong and courageous, for you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do all according to the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do all according to what is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Joshua 1, verses 6 through 8. So now they've, back to Samuel, they've crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead, and Saul had remained in Gilgal. 
As we look at verses 8 and 9, we read, Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. This is where we see Samuel once again disobeying. Here, he's going to do something that was prohibited by the law of God. He was forbidden. Only priests, Levites, could offer sacrifices to God. But here, Samuel, a Benjamite, is taking it upon himself to offer this sacrifice. Saul had been given instructions by Samuel that he should wait in Gilgal for a period of seven days, and then he would meet him there. Samuel had given Saul similar instruction earlier. Remember back in chapter 10, 1 Samuel, verse 8, Samuel gave this command, And you shall go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait there seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. So he did the same thing back in chapter 10. Chapter 10 is when he anointed Saul king. Samuel was God's spokesman. He was the one that was leading Saul. And yet Saul was supposed to wait here. This is what he was told. However, Samuel was right not there at the time he waited. He didn't show up yet. As Saul waited in Gilgal for seven days for Samuel to arrive, he began to grow impatient. And some of his men started to leave. They scattered, it says. Saul's impatience, when Samuel did not show up at the appointed time, he decided to make this foolish decision and taking it upon himself to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices to the Lord. A grievous error on his part. And the effects would be devastating to Samuel and his family. Yes, Nathal. Amen. What Nathel said, just for the, so you can hear, is we do that today. We go forward with something, not even seeking the Lord or his word. Samuel did this, but Israel did that throughout their history. Remember, they were, they were clinging to idols when Samuel rebuked them. They were idolaters. And now they're just depending upon their king and his military. They were so excited to see this king be appointed because now they could live in peace and ease. Now they're confronted with the Philistines once again. And Saul being fearful. Why? His men were being scattered. They were going away and they didn't want to battle. Not all of them. He still had this faithful group of troops 
that were loyal to him. But many of those Hebrews that weren't hiding up in the mountains were scattering from King Saul. The Levites were the only tribe that could perform the various sacrificial offerings on behalf of the Israelites. Samuel's father, as you remember, back in chapter 1, was Alcana, who was a member of the Kohathite branch of the tribe of Levi. So his lineage, Samuel's lineage, he was within the tribe of Levi, but he was also a priest, prophet, and judge. Samuel, as we viewed earlier, also served under the high priest Eli in Shiloh to take care of the Ark of the Covenant. Samuel, being of the tribe of Levi, could also offer sacrifices unto the Lord on behalf of Israel. Since this imminent threat of the Philistines and their superior forces, this combined with Saul's army scattering from him, caused him to feel hard-pressed and anxious. Saul was responding to his circumstances. He was hard-pressed. He knew he was facing an enemy that could overtake them. He only responded out of fear and gave no consideration for regarding or regarding God's law or whether or not he disobeyed God. Remember, when Samuel gave him orders, commands, he was God's spokesman. He wasn't just the judge. He was the judge appointed by God. He was also God's prophet. So when he told Samuel something, or Saul something, he was authoritative. For Saul to take this in his own hands was arrogant and foolish. He only responded out of fear and gave no consideration regarding his disobedience against the very God, the one who had displayed his power and might over the Egyptians. What was the last things that Samuel had said to Israel at Gilgal in verses 24 and 25? Verse 24 and chapter 12, he said, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider what great things he had done for you. Did Saul remember that God delivered the Israelites from the Pharaoh? Did they remember what Moses faced? In verses 10 through 12, as soon as he's finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and that you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. 
It is possible that Samuel waited the full seven days to test Saul's commitment to the Lord and his obedience to the Lord. Whether or not he did it deliberately, Saul demonstrated that he was more committed to expedience than obedience. That's a quote from John MacArthur. How often do we as Christians fail, as Nathel just pointed out, to obey God's work and take things in our own hands, trusting not in God, but reacting to our circumstances? Samuel's question here, what have you done? The question was direct, and Saul's response did not show remorse or any contrition at all. Rather, his answer was simply to justify his disobedience. He didn't care. He was just justifying what he did. He offered three excuses for his sin. First, because I saw the people were scattering from me. Here, Saul shows that he was trying to justify his sin, disobeying God's law regarding the offering of sacrifices because of his circumstance. I saw the people were scattering from me. That was his excuse. Saul, observing that some of his men were scattering, this would greatly reduce his military forces. That makes sense from a worldly viewpoint, perhaps. Excluding God and his deliverance, the very God that delivered him. So he used that excuse. Saul was not walking by faith. He was walking by sight. He was looking at the enemy, at the overwhelming odds, their chariots, their horses, their well-armed army, and he was scared. So he started presenting the offering. The second was, you did not come to me in the appointed days. Boy, that's brazen. Samuel, he's accusing him of being late. When Samuel could do whatever he thought necessary, he was directed by God. And yet, that was a second excuse. You didn't come here at the point of time. I stayed that seven days, not till the end, because Samuel did show up at the end. Wasn't good enough. Third excuse. The Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal. And I have not asked favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Just that alone gives him away. If he thought somehow he could give this offering freely, why did he have to force himself? So he was cognitive that he wasn't supposed to offer this sacrifice, and yet he did so. Saul's third excuse was perhaps the most telling, because he feared that the Philistines would attack He had not yet asked the favor of the Lord since Samuel 
had not arrived. He had to always go to Samuel. He would not go directly to the Lord. He was not one of God's. He didn't have a heart for God. And that would ultimately be his downfall. How do we as Christians respond to pressing circumstances? Do we seek God's direction? Or we just press forward, responding to our circumstances? That's a great illustration and lesson for us. What a devastating result when somebody sins against a holy God. The folly of sin reaps devastating consequences, which affect all of God's people. Had Saul regarded obedience to God as a priority of his responsibility as king over God's people, God's chosen people, it would not have only pleased God, but his disobedience reaped devastating consequences that would alter his future as king as well as his legacy. Saul proved that he was not a man after God's heart, but rather a king like all other nations. Even though God had selected Saul as king and he had been anointed by Samuel, had been chosen by the people, Saul demonstrated that he relied on his own understanding rather than following God's holy commandments. Even though Saul would lead Israel as their king for a period of time, his reign would soon end. The lasting consequences of sin has massive effects on people who were under his leadership. We see sometimes pastors today turning from God's word and embracing worldly, market-driven methods to bring forth a false gospel, filling the buildings and their coffers by proclaiming a false gospel to lure those undiscerning souls, thinking that they are going to heaven when rather they are being led down the path of eternal destruction. Verse 13, which we'll begin next time. Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord, your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. What a devastating consequence. As we look at this, this isn't just a historical narrative. This is a great lesson for all believers. So as we close, I just pray that God would use this truth in each of us as we go about our daily lives. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.